Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Witches Anonymous with Ilaria Baldwin and Michelle Campbell-Mason, an iHeartRadio podcast. Hey, witches. Welcome back. I'm Michelle. And I'm Ilaria. Today we have Maria Prudente, who's a writer, she's an actor, she's a poet, she's a journalist for The Daily Beast, and she is a Me Too advocate. You guys are going to hear that she broke a very high-profile Me Too story. She is the epitome of a woman supporting other women. Um, hi, my name is Maria Prudente. I am a writer and I live in New York City. I am also a journalist and my most recent work is reporting the sexual assault claims against Sex and the City actor Chris Nove. And I'm so happy to be here. Well, we're so we're so pleased to have you on. I've I've had the the pleasure of of meeting you many times throughout the years, but only recently have we started, you know, really like delving in. So um I want to get into it sort of immediately what the, what I was told right away from David and Marcus, which is you were one of the journalists who revealed the Chris Note story. I was, yes. So the first story broke in The Hollywood Reporter, um, I think December 16th. So we're coming up on a year now, actually, when it, when it actually came out. Um, and then we saw the story and my friend who I reported on said, you know, I think I want to come forward with my story. And I said, well, I'm happy to write it. And so well, we got to, you know, writing and a couple hours later, we had a story ready for the Daily Beast. And she was the third woman who came forward with claims against Chris Nolf. And so it was a, it was a wild ride, but it was, it was important because it was able, we were then able to validate the claims of the woman who came before her. So that was what was important to me. And I think we did, we did just that. Um, so, yeah. Maria, can you tell us a little bit about your story and yourself before this happened, what what you were doing? I know you worked a lot in the poetry space and just a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I was, a, I'm a former actress, a struggling actress in New York trying to make it. Um, I am from Virginia and then I graduated high school and I moved immediately to New York to study musical theater. 
And uh, then I started working immediately at like 19 years old. I was touring the country and shows and that I was doing film and TV. And I really, I, I really loved it until, you know, I didn't anymore. And I was making like $300 doing, you know, a play for three months. And I was like, okay, this is going to be really hard to make a living. <laughs> so um, eventually I decided to go back to school and get my bachelor's degree. And I went to uh, Columbia and got my bachelor's in creative writing. And uh, yeah, I started doing some poetry. I was able to speak at the New York City Poetry Festival um, back in 2021, which was a huge honor. And uh, have published some, you know, short stories, um, personal essays. And uh, now I'm about to graduate. Weirdly enough, I can't believe I'm saying that in two weeks from NYU from the journalism school. So congratulations! You know, now all three of us have some NYU in us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laurie went there. I finished my last two college courses there. Mm-hmm. Yep. W- one thing that you said about Chris's story is that it gave validation to the women who came before. And one thing I've learned from the Me Too movement is how we are stronger in numbers. And that's one thing that we try to do on this podcast is we're getting more and more people to come forward and talk about the themes of women and our relationships with each other, where we get it right, where we get it very wrong and how Mm -hmm. we can do better and realize that we're all on the same team. And then little by little, I started having gratitude and awe for the bravery of these women and and the hope that my daughter's and sons will grow up in a world that uh, we talk about consent and we have our boundaries and we respect each other's yeses and nos and, and, you know, and don't push things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think consent is really important. I'm actually writing a story right now about consent in um, the theater education space um, and how young actors coming to New York, especially just minds focused on actors, they don't understand you know, what consent really is at 18, 19 years old um, and how that's really important and how in retrospect, many years later, again, like during Me Too, it took a movement for us to realize about things from our past. Oh, wait, maybe I agree to doing something that I wasn't, you know, entirely wanting to participate in. Um, And I think that's really important. And I think going back to the North story, I mean, a situation like that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting how you said the women that were so courageous about coming forward um, you know, the, the number one thing that people always love to ask after a sexual assault story breaks is why, why now? Why did the women come forward? Um, and of course, if you read the Hollywood Reporter article, you would know that the women came forward because they were triggered by the promo and the press for the new show. And just like that, which was the Sex in the City sequel. Um, and then, of course, Ava, the, the woman that I wrote about in my article, she came forward because she was wanting to validate the claims of the women who came for her. And so when I say that, I say that there is no good timing to do this. You know, there really isn't. And it just, I think the fact that the women were going to get a lot of flack in the press anyways, because it was coming, they were coming out with their stories around the same time as the TV show was premiering. It didn't matter what they were doing was really brave and courageous. And it gave Ava, the woman that I spoke about in my piece, a chance to come forward and tell her story. And then the woman that came after her with Gloria Allred, who shared her story. And so it's just, a, it's a crazy domino effect that you see. And that's what we saw with the Me Too movement. Well, that's what's interesting is now we're getting to a place we went, we started with always believe the victim. Mm-hmm. And now we're starting to get, well, how do you know? Like how, how, and, and that's a question I'm going to ask you, how did you know that you could believe this victim? Well, I have a, a unique experience in that she was a friend of mine. 
Um, and so I knew her the day after it happened to her in 2010, we spoke about it. So I had this insight. Usually journalists won't have that. Um, so even if I didn't have that, because right, again, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of reporting on sexual assault victims now. What it requires is a lot of, you know, I, I take you at your word, but I also have to further corroborate your reports and what you're saying, which means talking to other friends, looking at emails, text messages. Um, so in this, in the, in the case of Ava, uh, in the Noth story, she, you know, she presented a lot of information. I spoke to other people, but I also still had to do my due diligence. I had to speak to Noth's camp. Um, and I had to try to present, you know, a really fair, fair story. Um, because that's a really big claim to bring against somebody. You don't just, and I think people don't realize that the more and more I've talked to other people, it's, it's, I'm like, you know, journalists have to do a lot to before they just put something to the press. You can't just say anything. You have to really do a lot of reporting and corroboration. So I have a question for both of you, because I think, you know, obviously Chris not played Mr. Big on Sex and the City and mm-hmm. this, this and was in the first episode of the sequel. And Mr. Big was our, as young women and the archetype of the ideal man, the one you want, the one that you cannot quit, the one you marry, like it, it he's such an amazing, I, idyllic character. And um, for the ideal man to be the one perpetrating this, I mean, there's just so, there's so much to it. And I, I just remember as like someone who was a fan of the show and, you know, that I, frankly moved to New York and met my own Mr. Big and thought that was, you know, the, the thing as I'm sure we can all, you know, draw those lines in our lives, like seeing that character fall. I think there's, there's almost as more visceral for our whole generation. Uh, have you, did you two feel that way as well? I found it to be, it's all jarring, but in a different aspect, I guess. I knew I was going to break a lot of women's hearts with this one because, um, even though I was an, I was an, as a former actor, it was kind of an open secret about Nolf's behavior. So we kind of knew already, um, but no one had said anything. But I knew that audiences around the world were going to be devastated to learn that this person, especially because he was so beloved and that was evident when he dies in the first episode. Sorry, spoiler alert, but everyone kind of already knew. He died in the first episode of In Just Like That. And then he's like, you know, revived in this Peloton ad. I mean, people were so devastated. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, I had convicted emotions about it as well, you know, but um, again, I've also had many bigs of my lifetime here in New York as well. I want to get more into, um, you know, the releasing a story that you know is going to have a tremendous impact on multiple people's lives. What's the feeling of that? pressing send and putting it out there that moment well as a reporter and my my number one concern is the person that i'm reporting on the the person who is in this case ava who was the the survivor of the assault and so making sure that she was doing okay um but also i could not have predicted that there would be as much interest as there was i it's like i forget i it's almost like i didn't realize that he was as famous as he was. And so when Good Morning America and the Today Show and Dateline and ABC News, all these people are contacting me, I was really overwhelmed thinking, okay, I have, I don't know what I'm, I've gotten myself into. And then it just sort of blew up on to the television. And then the next thing, I'm, the Daily Mail and all these other news places are showing how his, you know, his personal life is, you know, actively imploding in front of us. Right. Um, he's losing business deals. I think he was dropped from a TV show that he was on. He, um, the Sex and the City um, cast came out 
um, supporting the women um, relatively soon after the story broke. And so as a reporter, I don't I don't enjoy seeing the person that, you know, the celebrity, for example, I don't enjoy seeing their life fall apart. That's not why we write these stories. But it is it is a side effect of of what happens if that's what the if that's what the the public is doing to sort of help triage this issue then that's what they're doing um my my main my main thing is to say hey there's this we we think that there's this this pattern of behavior and our goal here you know in journalism is to bring this to light and sort of stop this behavior from continuing on and if that's what we were able to do you know i hope that that's what we were able to do did you Um, did you get hate for it um you know i didn't if i did i didn't i didn't find it i didn't i certainly didn't go looking in comments um that was yeah that was my advice to ava i said please don't look at comments because everyone's going to try to poke holes in your story and the weird thing is after you break a story other news sites then take your story and then they sort of regurgitate it and they'll sort of reword things so that's not like plagiarism and so that's sometimes how things can kind of get misconstrued that was really weird to read that's something i'd written and then have them say like what i wrote again um but i noticed that that was a that was a source of worry for um for ava and i could i could understand that but you mean that uh, the, that the it was kind of like playing telephone where people were yeah mm-hmm. yeah because the news cycle they have to tell the story all over again but they have to reword things so it's yeah you know and i just said but just remember that the story that we wrote is the story that's the truth and the news cycle is so fast too this news cycle moves so fast so they're rushing to write rewrite these things um and it's just it, I, I again it's it's hard the technology has really changed the way that we receive the news and it's and it's it has i think added to this mistrust yeah for sure Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think back to my early 20s when I had more of my experiences that would uh, fall into the Me Too um, category. And how I dealt with them. And I um, I didn't talk about it. And I blamed myself. And I would, um, I'd say, okay, you put yourself in that position. Next time, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be smarter. Next time, I'm going to get smarter. And I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to put myself in that position again. You are so stupid to put yourself in that position, Ilaria. And you're not going to do that again. You know, and I think oftentimes just women, we feel like we owe things to people mm-hmm. and I would be less standing up for myself. And when I met my husband, um, <laughs> I put my debit card down at every single meal because I didn't want to owe him anything. And that was my fear. And part of it was like the paying for dinner thing. That was for some reason I was so hung up on it. And I just had this like urge to be like, hey, I'm here because I want to be here, not because I owe you anything. Just want that mm-hmm. to be very clear. This is not a transaction. And not that he would even go there, but that was all the stuff that I had from before. And I just think it'd be interesting to, to use, you know, go through those years now with, with, you know, with the Me Too movement and how I could have looked at things where I blamed myself and it maybe wasn't me. Definitely wasn't you. That that question we can answer. Yeah, absolutely. I've been having experiences like that recently with a friend of mine. Uh, We both worked for the same person and he was telling me again in retrospect, Hey, did you understand, did you know that there were some weird things going on with this, with, you know, our boss, for example? And I said, yeah, I know I I was, I experienced those things um, with him, but I, but I, even now, even, and I've been grappling with it for a long time. I keep thinking, I don't think, I think it was, I I think I decided to participate in that. So it's still, even though you can read as, um, as many stories as you want with me too. And you still, when it comes to yourself, you're still tied to these ideas and it's, I still think about it all of the time. I just think about, I know 22, 23 years old, what was I doing? You know, I, w- I would do things very differently though. Now, 10 years later. It is interesting how our, how, how we deal with it as we get older. And I think that's what's so unfortunate with so many of these people that are attacked. They're very young, you know, mm-hmm. categorically. And then when you're young, you don't, you don't see it in the same way. I was recently actually in 
I don't know how I'd categorize this, but a very famous man who has been me too and canceled. I met at a restaurant. We had some friends in common and he's perfectly nice, but came up behind me and started rubbing my shoulders publicly. And I, you know, I own two businesses. I'm in my thirties. I'm very confident with who I am and where I stand in the world. If I'd been 22 and like, you know, just like trying to feel my way through life. I don't know if I would have been able to handle it. And the way I handled it, it was like, okay, ha ha you. And then, you right. know, walk away. But it's so interesting, the bravado in these people too, to have been accused, canceled and continue to do it. So it's so much more than just like, it's endemic in these, in these, in the, in society and these people that feel untouchable, but, uh, that was a trip, but going back to just being young and how you think, oh, well, I just deserve this. Cause I'm a, I'm a body and this is, this is how like, we're so commodified. Right. Yes. And especially if it's someone who's in a position of power, like your boss or in the situation of Ava from the Noth article, Chris Noth is this, here's big with you in a, in a restaurant that you're working where you're, she was a lounge singer trying to, trying to scrape by and make money. And of course he's giving you attention. So you think, okay, well, this feels nice, but then it suddenly doesn't turn, you know, turns the other direction. It can be very, very confusing. Um, so I think, yeah, I, it, and again, it's something you kind of learn over time, but I want women who are younger to kind of learn this much sooner, like at 18, 19, Hey, you're about to enter the real world. Just so you know, this might make you feel special, but. Well, as, as, as a mom, these are conversations right. that I start having with my kids. So I'm parenting very differently because of the me too movement which doesn't mean we went like right into the whole sex conversation. I literally just started having the sex conversation with my nine-year-old and my seven-year-old. And it, I mean, for those of you guys who have been following my parent journey for many years, you guys know that was like the squeamish thing that I like, I was so afraid. To, I mean, everything, I, most people are just afraid to talk about it. But um, I knew I had to like mommy up and and do it. But before that, even when they're younger, I teach them to hear no. Which doesn't mean that they necessarily do it, but I know that it's planted in there. This person said stop. This person said no. Or you said no, so I'm going to stop. You said stop, so I stop. And planting these seeds of just behavior and learning to respect another human being as a whole person over there, that's something I hope, I hope, I mean, I don't know what I'm doing. I only have a nine-year-old and below. I don't know the years of, you know beyond but I hope that that's going to both educate them how to treat other people, because that's a part of it as well. We're not talking about this just as the victim. I mean, I want to make sure that we're also not hurting people as well. We have to look at it from both sides of the possible, you know, um, spectrum. But, you know, and I want so I want to make sure that they're not hurting people and that they're not hurt. And then, you know, little by little, the conversation can go into sex. But I was even thinking before this. The sex ed that at least I had growing up was like, you learned how to put a condom on a banana. You know, it's like, literally, I would like, we didn't talk about consent. We didn't know about these things. And so even before 18 years old, I was like, whoa, this is what you're going to get into. Before that, what does it mean to have intimacy with somebody? You know, what is that consent? And is this person really consenting? Are we really in it together? Or is this something that I'm pushing? You know, or am I, you know, are they afraid if they don't do this, then I'm going to, you know, go and do that or take this away from them if it's like a job or something like that. Mm -hmm. I wonder if little kids um, 
is like, there's this idea when I of asking another, of asking a little kid, can I hug you? Or like, I, I don't know if that's, that's something that you talk about with your kids too now. I mean, it's really, hard. it's really hard because, you know, I, I grew up with the handshaking culture of here and mm-hmm. the, the kissing culture of Europe. And it's um, like I was I was taught you you go around little kids ask anyone you little kids go give two kisses to everyone give two kisses to everyone give two kisses to everyone and um, and there is a warmth like I'm somebody I'm a hugger I'm gonna see you I'm gonna be like let me give you a hug now if the person is like you know yeah. handshake person I'm I'm hopefully I hope I will make sure that I don't give you a hug when you want a handshake but it is I I want to make sure that we don't lose the warmth um, through fear. Yeah, it's a fine line. But it was a fine line. But at the same time, you know, it's hopefully the way that we're hugging each other is not, you know, violating anyone too. So there's definitely, there's definitely, you know, a, a, a line of that. You know, in, in the media as well, I wonder what it's like for people going through reliving a trauma. I mean, that's not light. These people, I mean, people sometimes paint victims that come forward as like, oh, they just want attention. And it's like, if this is a real trauma, which I think nine times out of 10, it is, if this is a real trauma, then they don't want to relive it. I've had, you know, going back to my, my experiences of, you know, my, my early twenties and bad experiences that I've had, the media who seems to knock on my door for a lot of things has, has, um, tried to, I don't want to say um, although I've heard that the word with my publicist when we sort of fight back with it is called victim shame. And mm-hmm. they've, they've tried to, um, you know, open up things that, that bad things that have happened to me that, that, you know, other people knew. And it's not their story to tell. It's mm-hmm. my story. And I think my, you know, one of the fears as much as I'm, you know, want to be applauding women who are coming forward and I want to use this platform and my, you know, my social media to, to, uh, promote, um, me too, in a way that feels supportive to, to everybody who comes forward. For me, I'm, I'm afraid of it in terms of for myself, because I just don't know, you know, triggering how, how that would feel coming forward. And I think, you know, in my therapy sessions, the one thing I'm not missing is the photographer outside my house deciding he wants to be in the therapy session with me by taking a photo and then putting in the news. And I know that even for people who are not famous, who've come forward and used their identity, that is something that they experience. that, you know, I had one woman, she's like, oh my God, there's photographers at my door. And I'm like, mm, yeah, that's, that's what happens. This is a fact, actually. It's not, you know, what you're saying and experiencing and talking about with the trauma, like it is a scientific fact that is, you know, it's, it's addressed by therapists, uh, meditation coaches that I work with, um, everyone in the the healing space that you, every time you say it, no matter, you know, we heal and we can tell our story, but chemically your cortisol in your body changes, it brings up the trauma response. And so you're actually putting yourself into the cycle of feeling the pain over and over again. And I've done a lot of therapy and a lot of work um, in meditation in which you work to rewire your neural pathways to heal trauma so you don't keep re-experiencing the same pain. Um, but the the tenet of learning that and executing that and being able to release trauma, and I am not a doctor, I'm, but I am telling you what I've been taught over and over through Joe Dispenza, amazing therapists and fantastic coaches in, in the healing space. 
that every time you go there, you, you do harm yourself in a way. So finding a way to a, you know, really have that conversation or be able to get to a point in which you're not bringing up every point or saying it over and over because it's really hard for you to heal and move forward and change how you, how you look at things. So it's, it's a very, very real thing. And I think when exacerbated and like kind of put out in the media in a way that isn't uh, conscious, these people just keep reliving the pain. Yeah. That's a really good point. When I was reporting on the no story, um, I think because we were friends, there was already this trust that existed, which probably I think, helped, but it still was really painful to have to ask for these explicit details. What happened? How did you get into the office? Was the door like, what happened? Um, because we need to figure out, should we call this rape? Should we call this assault? Should we call this? What should we call this? And it required all of these specifics. And in doing so, you are actively aware that you are possibly trigger re-triggering this person, reliving their, their trauma. Um, and I'm even doing the same thing in reporting now, having people you're, you're trying to take a, a trauma a, 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 a pro- informed approach in my reporting saying, you know, look, if you need to take a, a, a you know, a break and, and talking to me, please do. And some of them will just stop and say like, I'm sorry, I'm having a moment. I'm, re- I'm reliving this thing. They'll cry. Um, and, or, Oh, this thing just came up. A lot of times I'll be talking to someone and something brand new will just come up for them, um, which they haven't thought about in years, which is really interesting. Um, and the good, the good news is I think for me, a lot of times when I walk away from it, a lot of them feel like a relief and they released something in talking to me, um, if they haven't already done that in therapy, but it really is interesting how that is a, there is that, there is that, that challenge is sometimes they can be really good what they're doing, but they can also be, you know, re, re traumatizing themselves in the process. Absolutely. What do you think is next with Me Too after you've moderated such a big part of this conversation? So so recently, because it had been going on for quite a long time before that, um, or do you see a shift in how people are communicating coming forward or how um, maybe the media is covering it in a different way? So I, I'm a, I, I think my answer is kind of be biased, if I'm being totally honest. Um, I don't know what the future looks like for Me Too. Um, I think... Uh, what we've, I think everything has kind of gone to the other extreme where now we, we, we disbelieve everybody. Um, so I, I hope that we can get back to believing women again, as I feel like we've kind of gone to the other side, which is sort of, I think we all thought would happen eventually. Um, but so that's a good question. I, I just recently had a conversation with someone about the North article and they completely said, no, wow, you, you, you blew up a guy's career 20, 20 plus years. Why, why, why did she have to talk, you know, and how did you believe her? So I'm feeling a little myself, a little disillusioned because I thought, okay, well, we, how much progress have we made? But she's only one person, but there are other people out there that are like her who disbelieve women and who um, have such distrust. And so I, I don't know. I think I would encourage women to keep coming forward um, and men. You know, I think what we'll probably see in the future too, I mean, especially if if the things I'm working, the projects that I'm working on get out there too, we'll start to see more, not just women, but men as well, coming forward and sharing their stories. Um, you know, something that we haven't even discussed, I think in the cultural zeitgeist really is like same sex, you know, predation and assault. Um, that's something that we have to, we haven't even yeah, touched on yet. So I think there's, there's other iterations of Me Too. It's not just going to be about women. Um, but I think we should continue to believe women. Um, and I think that we should 
you know, as journalists, we should always try to corroborate our stories as much as possible and try to be as fair as possible. Because if, if there, there's going to be a story where you didn't get it right, and that does ruin it for, for, for the others who just do decide to come forward. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm not sure. I, I think, I think I, I want to be, po- I want to be positive. But... We love the positivity. There's enough negativity out there. No, I mean, look, can I say, I think the majority, again, the majority of the stuff that has come out, we all know it's true. We all know it's true. And I think that most of us can think right now back to a time when we could have had an example of saying, that's not okay. You know, and I think if we can get to a place where, yeah, sure, we want to make sure we want to keep it clean. We always want to go in and not just say, all right, we're going to just go destroy this person's life without listening. But we got to listen. And that's what Me Too is about. It's not just making accusations and then, you know, going and, you know, burning, burning that one. You know, it's it's literally about going and saying, okay, let's talk about it. Come in. Let's let's, you know, let's let's create a safe space for you to speak what what happened and and then we can help you and we can educate the next generation, educate ourselves and the next generation so that hopefully they can do better. Well, that's the perfect history lesson, right? Because if we're not heard, if we don't listen to the stories of before, we can't course correct and teach the younger generation. So like we have to have this positivity and openness now. Otherwise, it'll just continue to happen over and over yeah, and time. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, you know, after after the Noak article came out, what, what could have happened is there could have been a, bro- a bigger conversation of, OK, hear what you're saying. What let's talk about like what happened and then the culture could have been a part of that conversation. But instead, you know, he was sort of exiled and excommunicated from, you know, the cultural conversation and nothing and sort of went away. And then no conversations ends up happening. And so I think that maybe in the future, at least what I'd like to see for me too, is that there is sort of an, like an exchange between the people in the public and the people who are making accusations or, you know, coming to the press and saying something. And then the journalists needed to sort of mediate that, I think, in their work. Um, so that's what I hope to see so that we can, we can prevent, like you said, prevent it from happening. I'd like to put some like frosting on that goal of yours too and say like, also let's make it, you know, we have all gone through so much and Hilary has shared a lot today and I've shared a little bit about so many people I know that have been assaulted, but you know, that we are so much more than our trauma and these women that get the spotlight put on them in these situations are often now just like, which is only remembered for the, the trauma. And we are whole people with a whole story. So let's hope that journalists like you that are so accountable and do work so hard to tell, to bring a full picture to light helps create that, that we are not just victims. Just like I really had a hard time with that movie Blonde, Um, even though it's based on a novel that's a very sensationalized version of Marilyn's life. Yes, we know she was assaulted and very abused and had a very hard time in the studio system, but I thought it was so sad that this powerful, amazing, talented person was just kind of put into this box of a victim. And I I, I just the movie, I couldn't stop crying the whole time. And it was so much of the story, but so much of that, that she had just been made so small and, and just, you know, a vessel for trauma when she represents so much positivity to so many people. You're so right. And that's been some of the best advice given to me is... You are not the bad things that happened to you. I am not the bad things that happened to me in my 20s that I have yet to speak about. I am not 
the trolls, the abusers, the bullies, their negativity. That is not who I am. That is something that they do to me. That is not who I am. And the same thing for everybody out there. You are a whole positive person with so much potential and so worth it. Don't let the negativity start to consume your entire identity. Hell yes. Hell yeah. Hell yes. Um, okay. On that note, what are we covening in the coven, ladies? <laughs> I, uh, so I'm going real witch this week. So I think I'm going to leave this one off to bring Maria into it. You know, like we've talked about it every week. We have something that we're coveting. And I'm going to start with witches and us being more than our, than our story. And this is witch oracle cards. <laughs> Oh, an anatomy of a witch cards for mind, body and spirit. And you, you pick a card and it kind of tells you like what you need in that moment or encourages you to kind of explore one path or another in your, in your, your decision-making at, at that day. And it's always positive and a little mystical and, you know, it's just, it's also a very pretty box anatomy of the witch Oracle cards available probably on Amazon. I, I love that when I was, when I was at the correction facility where I'm, I'm um, starting to teach yoga and I was connecting with the people there. Um, this one woman, she, she ran back to her bunk and she said, because they have um, yoga sometimes it's going to be a little different, but they have yoga sometimes. And they're like, she brings us these cards that are kind of like that, that have sayings and, you know, sort of, sort of spiritual meaning on them. And she had saved three. She gets, she gets so excited. She gets to save them. And she says, I read them over and over again to bring positivity into my mind. And to think this is somebody who is in the same room for most of the day. And this gives her such hope and such, you know, connectedness into the kind of person that she wants to evolve into being. No, it's the little things like the little affirmation that can get us through the hardest times. And I think that all of like we've talked about trauma victims today, what these tools are. And I think that's something we should all we'll be putting on the platform after today too. you know, many ways that we can cope and find find light in the world. Mm-hmm. Maria, what's yours? So this is this looks silly, but it's kind of kind of witchy. This is a vase. Um, and believe it or not. And um, I'm I'm I think that one of the things that brings me a lot of joy where I find peace, it sounds a little silly, but I do like arranging flowers, cutting flowers and arranging them. And I think, um, I think doing something like something simple like that is really good for you. And I, I want, especially just talking about women who've been gone through so much trauma, like taking some time for yourself, make like making something beautiful, like find some flowers, cut them, arrange them, put them around your house. And I don't know, put them in like silly looking vases like these. Um, <laughs> That And that really is it. When you're having a really bad moment, bringing its beauty into your life or good people support, it's what it, it calms your nervous system, which is really what this comes down to. You know, is my nervous system out of whack because I have been abused? You know, and whether that is in person, online, you know, if something coming up from the past, some fear from the future, but that can still, you know, mess with your nervous system and to settle yourself into the present. That's that's such a good one. Mine today is a book that changed my life in my 20s. Um, It's a book called Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine, and it's about somatic experiencing. And I don't know if you guys have heard it. It's become much more common than it was um, back back then. And I, I read it, I read it again, I underlined it, and it is all about um, dealing with trauma and trying to release it from the body, understanding that trauma is held in the body 
And I can talk and talk and talk about things, but my mind is going places and my body is actually going with that trauma there. So how do you talk about it and center yourself and teach your body and teach your nervous system that you're not in that trauma anymore? And that was a life-changing book for me and really has helped me through the years process trauma. So whenever, you know, some of the stuff that I talked about today, it every single bit brings up trauma for me. So after this session, I'm going to go and I'm going to go do some, you know, somatic experiencing stuff that I, that I learned and, um, and hopefully get my, my body back into a present state where I can be both happy and a good human of the universe. Well, you're always a good human of the universe. I try. I try. Um, thank you so much for, for taking the time and being with us. And it was just a very interesting conversation. I learned quite a lot from you and I really have never gotten into a place where I, I talked so, so deeply with about the, the Me Too movement and especially not with a reporter who has been as close to it as you have. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a really interesting conversation and, uh, yeah, I'm just really grateful. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like we covered so much and I feel so much more kind of aware of your side of things and how and how much I respect journalists that think in the way you do and that there's so much we should be hopeful and have more trust because there are people out you telling stories the right way. So thank you. And now tell us how everyone can find you and your work. You can find me and my work on my website, which is mariaprudente.com. And I have an Instagram page, which is Maria A. Prudente. All right. Thanks, Maria. We look forward to continuing this conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Michelle, that was an amazing conversation. It, you know, for me, who's usually on the other side of the story, it's really nice to hear from a journalist who is really doing her homework and really being very thoughtful as she's investigating a, a very big story that affects a lot of people. Aside from being extremely smart, and I think she really opened up our perspective on the amount of work and credibility it takes to responsibly talk about abuse and how how to convey that and how to do it in a way that's safe for the victim and, you know, very clear. And I think, too, in a, she she's a reminder that there are so many amazing journalists and people in the press that do everything they can to make sure that they're telling the best story possible. And in a world where we hear people mistrusting the media a lot, I think Maria is such a breath of fresh air. And I think we're very lucky to have her on for this amazing conversation, which I feel that you and I both opened up and learned so much today. Absolutely. Such a breath of fresh air. All right, ladies, that's it for today. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. We love that our coven is growing. Find us on social media and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks, witches. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.